hello, hello. Ah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for joining us. Looks like we got some people in the chat. This is nice. Um, yeah, this is a little bit different than our last one. I don't think we had anyone in our soul chat, which was, uh, you know, which was fine, but <laughs> it's always nice to have people here. Um, although we're used to talking amongst ourselves quite a bit. We so yeah. we do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, today we're coming with They Live. I think Tara, you talked about this in our last episode as well. Um, it, yesterday was actually John Carpenter's birthday, so um, I don't. We didn't even really plan it like this, but here we are. So happy belated birthday to the legend John Carpenter. John Carpenter, When you think of you know people who've left their mark on kind of Hollywood cinema and genres, John Carpenter is up there. So. If you haven't seen uh, seen the thing, wow, that is terrifying movie. I still Have haven't seen, seen that it? one actually. No. <gasps> yeah, it's uh, you know it's all set at um, like a research facility in the Arctic or Antarctic. I can't remember which, and it's terrifying and wonderful and just in the same way that this is super violent, that one's super scary. And, and, and also <laughs> the way that Halloween basically invented the slasher genre and defined horror movies for more than a decade. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then the whole Kurt Russell part of his career with Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, Escape from LA, that whole world, um, Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, just really kind of foundational classics of cinema. Did he score like all of his movies or? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that is something that would like, you don't see a whole lot of. You don't see a lot of like directed by and also like composed by. And also like <laughs> I wrote all the music as well. Oh, oh, Gregory is telling me that I have to watch the thing. You which, have to watch the um, thing. I've been uh, told hey, before. <laughs> yeah, welcome, Gregory. Thank you. For, I guess we can call him Greg now since we're, there's not two of us in our uh, on our <laughs> same screen Greg. this time. So you, you can be you can go back to being Greg. <laughs> yes, Craig and Greg would be hard. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I don't have the chat up. I was getting an echo from the Twitch stream when I had it up. So uh, oh yeah, uh, my apologies. You can just mute. The, you can you mute can the, mute. Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Someone's talking about Tyler Perry being the, the do-it-all director. Like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, he does do it all, does, but uh, uh, the quality, you know, I don't know, not he's, really he's, comparable. He's the best part of Gone Girl. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you, Andre, uh, for that nice uh, moment of <laughs> a reality check. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so talking about They Live, um, I, I, I guess this is just going to be the year where we, like, uh, just watch every movie that's just like, fuck you, capitalism, uh, like, in, in all of its different forms. It, like, it does seem to be a theme for us lately. <laughs> Which, I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like I've been of that mindset for a while. I feel like we're all on the same page in that sense. And um, it's just nice to have some movies that are like, hey, we can do this and have fun with it. You know, let's, exactly. let's have fun <laughs> saying, fuck you. And this one in particular, fuck you, Ronald Reagan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which um i think i think little shop came out around the same time i think it was 86 yeah, this is 88, yeah. so they're within two years. So yeah, we got a lot of like, oh yeah, hey, fuck you capitalism during the Reagan years, which, interesting, you know, just, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's totally just coincidental, and uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that we're at a point now where, I'm glad we look like, this was a time where, um, you know, politics wasn't really a part of movies, you know, like, um, you know, I, they, they try to shove it in these days, but like, you know, I'm just glad that like we could, you know, go back to a time before, you know, they were just like hitting you over the head with politics. Or, or I mean, before politics was a part of pop culture, right? I mean, yeah, because George Orwell didn't <laughs> comment on on any of this stuff. This this movie isn't like really treading on Orwell all the time. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, thankfully we have, uh, you know, we have this uh, very light, breezy, um, not in any way commenting on any, uh, you know, political, very societal subtle, very issues. subtle. This, yeah. this very subtle, with no <laughs> political agenda whatsoever. This film. Yeah, as you sit with Marion reproduced behind your head. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's the only person on this call who's done both. Yeah. Wow. Congrats. We get it, Colin. You're straight. We get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So this movie is, uh, yeah, about a man, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, a former Canadian uh pro wrestler uh also like rest in peace he's passed i like yeah, a while back like, i think early should 2000s. we take should we take this opportunity to talk about uh the fact that you got to meet him and escort him around Denver comic-con no it wasn't him it wasn't oh, him it no wasn't him. i i i was with ralph macchio um, that's right and, i always forget who it was. um like ralph macchio's publicity agent was uh roddy piper's uh former agent uh so yeah, I I okay. like was hanging out with uh Ralph Macho that weekend and yeah, his 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 like public appearance agent is the same person who was Rod, Roddy's agent back in the day. I, I knew you had a connection yeah. to Rowdy Roddy Piper and I forgot what it was. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was close. That was like, you know, for really something close. that happened like four like three or four years ago. That was pretty <laughs> in the before times. Anything remembering in anything that long, happened long in the before ago. times. <laughs> uh so yeah, uh Roddy is uh, you know, he's trying to get a new job. He's just moved to a new city. Um, is this supposed to be L.A.? Is, like, the city supposed, to be, supposed to be L.A.? Exactly. Okay. And, he, and he moved from Denver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is where we all are. <laughs> yeah, really, uh, like, if you know L.A. well, you know kind of the kind of classic places that they were shooting. But it is interesting because it almost feels like it could be any American city in oh, the for 80s, sure. right? And that's very much intentional that it is very much LA and the palm trees and certain kind of highway scenes and things like that. But, you know, it could be Detroit. It could be kind of anywhere in the Rust Belt, <laughs> quite frankly. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, he is, you know, trying to find work and, uh, I, I think that like one of the first scenes that we get is where he's go, you know he's in like the like the unemployment office and you know they're like asking him about his job background and he's not really having a lot of success there so he just kind of like starts wandering the streets looking for work uh, which is something that you could do in the eighties you could just literally just walk around <laughs> and be like hey you can walk onto a construction site with your <laughs> hobo backpack and be like i've got my own tools can i have a job yeah. <laughs> you, you uh, still can't do that in la <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well and that was like actually the one of the first like things of the movie where we see uh this like message coming in where he goes to i think his name is nada in this movie uh, Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yep. <laughs> and so he goes to the site and he's talking to, I guess, like the foreman at the construction site and he's asking if they have any jobs. And, um, you know, the guy's like, I, and from my perspective, it's like he sees this white guy that he can't really, like, you know, exploit. And so he's like, it's a union job. So, like, you can't, you, you gotta go. <laughs> and then Roddy, like, turns over and looks at, you know, what are, you know, supposed to be like, you know, undocumented, you know, Latino workers who are, uh, you know, like kind of working on the side. And so it's like assumed that like, right, sure. Yeah. yeah and then he asks, a union like, well, job. Can I talk to the shop steward? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he ends up, and then the next scene, it just cuts to him actually like working on the site. It cuts to him <laughs> like shirtless working on the site and we're like, oh yeah, he's a pro wrestler. He's pretty cut. But then we cut over and we see Keith David, yes. we see like a young Keith David who I didn't even recognize as Keith David until he spoke. Until I heard his voice, I was like, that's not, oh my God, that's Keith David. And, <laughs> and yeah, he looks good. Not I was only like, okay. Keith David, but ripped Keith David. I mean, yeah. like, my goodness, Keith David. <laughs> yeah, I know personally for me, um, my most uh, like formative experience with Keith David growing up was him being the voice of Goliath in Gargoyles. That's right. Uh, and so, like, that voice is just, like, so iconic to me. And I just, oh, my God, his voice is just, like, uh, it's just, like, you just, like, feel it, like, in, like, rumbles in your nether regions. Like, <laughs> it's, like, through your whole trunk, right? It's, like, through the whole part, this whole part of your body. You would listen to him read the phone book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Greg says that he's definitely chiseled like Goliath too, <laughs> which one hundred percent is. <laughs> yeah, made of granite, um, and uh, so yeah, they're working together, and we see they're kind of all like living in this like um, they're like all like kind of living in this like encampment in a park, like a um, shanty town type yeah. situation. Yeah. Which is, uh, again, it was it was interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the 80s. And, like, it's all kind of, like, it, it never really went away. But it feels like it's, like, all kind of coming full circle as we kind of, like, are able to see more of, um, you know, you know, social media and the, the internet. And, like, we're able to see more of what's actually happening in the world. And so this, like, thing that I feel like at the time was, you know, if you weren't, like, in a big city, if you weren't, like, seeing it, like, on your commute to work. Uh, or seeing it in movies, uh, you could easily just kind of ignore the fact that this is happening. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was interesting because it felt like it was coming kind of full circle, but it's like something that actually never stopped. So the circle is yeah. just more of a line that's just continued to go up. <laughs> yeah. And again, parts of LA look exactly like this still. You know? Yeah. Um, and parts of Denver do too. Yeah. yeah. And if, like this, you... yeah. If you go down around certain parts of Cap Hill, like you'll see encampments exactly like that. It, it's kind of eerie. Yeah, with uh, the sweeps and everything, which is like um, yeah. as we the, go the, along. The sweeps where they're using entirely the wrong type of heavy machinery to, to wipe it out. Uh, yeah. so this was just because <laughs> they come in with a front end loader to like wipe out the camp. And I'm like, why not a bulldozer? I'm glad that that's what you took away from that scene. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know your survey or mine. That, that was not, and, and we'll get into this. That was not the only time that my work brain overrode like what this movie was trying to say. That I was like, I got distracted by something by like survey brain. <laughs> I love hearing about surveyor brain on this. <laughs> never thought about the hubcap or not hubcap uh manhole <laughs> oh yeah uh but yeah so like we find out that there's this uh you know this church there's a preacher who's like standing out in front of um you know standing out on the street he's he's kind of doing like the whole um you know the end is nigh uh you know type of you know sermon on the street but he's like talking about how you know everyone is asleep and they want to keep everyone asleep uh, you know, they're they're working uh, to, uh, you know, enslave us and, you know, people are kind of taking him for granted as this kind of, you know, crazy person on the street. Uh, and, you know, I immediately was like, oh, it's like, you know, like the Oracle, like the crazy man or the Oracle where yeah, the, the, it's like, like the harbinger of doom in any like Jason movie or something. You know? Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, tuned in. And as we find out, like this church is working to um actually like interrupt the signal that's going out and essentially like brainwashing people into seeing the world through the lens that uh you know these mysterious people that you know at the beginning of the movie we're not really sure like who they are um other than we kind of like see this recurring theme of oh yeah it, it tends to be like uh, you know, the new it's like the news, it's like the rich and the wealthy, it's like these reality TV shows that are like, you know, um, I mean it wasn't really reality, it's more like well, daytime it, it was talk reality shows TV at shows the time. before before reality TV shows, because that yeah. was one of the first quotes that I wrote down was he's walking by and he sees a lady on television talking about like, all I want to do is to be famous and then people will like me and people will love me. And I'm like, this is 1988. This is so far before the Kardashians. This yeah. is before <laughs> people could be famous for just being famous. It, yeah. Like it was one of, one of many ways that this movie was like so ahead of its time. Yeah. And so yeah, this, this signal is like, you know, like literally just like sucking people in and uh, there's this interruption of the signal that happens occasionally and everyone knows it and just kind of knows them as like, you know, the hacker and this interruption comes in and pretty much tells everyone like, you know, this is what they want. They want you to be, you know, numb. They want you to be apathetic. They want you to be, um, you know, glued to the television and not thinking about, the you know injustices of the world the inequalities the inequalities of the world uh and just keep you asleep and keep you asleep and that it's this kind of 
wonderful critique of capitalism, right? A wonderful critique of ideology, but that I'm just was trying to find the quote here that in 2015, John Carpenter was talking about that this was a documentary, right? And that a documentary that is still true today, which I really loved kind of thinking of it that way, right? That not as a fictional piece, but as, you know, <laughs> and the, here it is, quote, all the aliens are members of the upper class, the rich, and they're slowly exploiting the middle class and everyone's become poor, becoming poorer. It has well, a theme and a message to it, but it's basically an action film. Well, we're talking, yeah. like, <laughs> early on in the movie, they're talking about how the middle class is disappearing. And that's exactly what was happening yep. at this time in America. Like yep. when, when Reaganomics and like the whole Republican platform was happening, it was the elimination of the middle class in America. And it, it's so much worse now that the middle class basically no longer exists. It, it's, I was blown away by like how ahead of its time this movie was, like how yeah. prescient John Calvert was in 1988 to be making this. It's just the pacing of it drove me a little bit crazy. <laughs> well, well, and the, the thing first half hour of wandering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first half hour and also the, the full five and a half minute wrestling match. No, yeah. no that one, no, I, I actually love that. <laughs> and, and, and it has a meaning so we'll, we'll get there i will get because that. that's uh, my favorite scene of the movie yeah. <laughs> um but yeah you know like we talk about like you know the whole like erasure of the middle class and i think too like when it talks about um you know these aliens and how they're working with like certain humans with the promise of like power and wealth and fame and it talks about how um you know people are willing to within their greed are willing to essentially sell out their own like planet their own people in order to like hold on to like in order to acquire some like modicum of like wealth and power and we see that you know again once again today and you know even within the last couple of days online um you know with all of the talk of raising the minimum wage to $15 there's been so many people who are like well i only make you know $18 an hour doing this job so why should this person who you know ostensibly is like unskilled or like uneducated be able to make as much money than i do and it's like you're not seeing that the issue is you are being exploited, exploited too, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the problem is you're not mad enough about like your exploitation yes, yes and that's what i love so much about that fight scene right because if the the metaphor right you put on the glasses and you see the truth right the illusion is gone right and you see the obey signs and the conform marry and reproduce right and you kind of reality and, and slash you look the at the illusion. money and the money says this is your god, your god yeah right yeah. yeah so that's why i love that scene with um keith david that like it's a 10 minute long fight scene it's that it's it's, it's ridiculously long because it it's a profound reluctance to put on those goddamn glasses right yeah. it's just like those people who don't want who are like who uh, you just were talking about craig right that that they can't see their own exploitation and nor do they want to right and that that's what i love is this like metaphor of put on the glasses right like and he just will not put them on and that it's a violent thing to do right to have this kind of a sense of one's own expectation uh, exploitation be revealed right it's both violent and you don't want to do it and then once you do it your whole life changes and you die <laughs> in the end right <laughs> but but and, you know you're shot down at the end but i love that scene because it's so long and it's so brutal like it is gross. yeah i mean there, there's a part where like Keith David is just kneeing Roddy Piper in the crotch. Like yeah, repeatedly. Something over, times. Like yeah. over and over. It's it's do not make me put on the glasses, right? Like I will not, I do not want this truth revealed to me. To me. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like people often critique John Carpenter and you know, this kind of whole genre of filmmaking as being, you know, ultra violent or glorifying violence. Like there's nothing pretty about that action scene, right? And well, there, it, there's something pretty about that. But if, if we are talking about the violence, I, I do want to say one thing that like really shook me watching this from the perspective of, of 2021. Like probably the most famous scene in this movie is like, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of, out of bubblegum. I mean, in 1988, when America didn't have a mass shooting every two weeks, Right. I'm sure that that scene played differently, mm -hmm. but watching it from this perspective, it I found it deeply disturbing. Oh when yeah. He walks into the bank and he just starts shooting people. I was like, this is just a 
playing out a mass shooting. This is, <clears throat> I found it like really upsetting to watch. Yeah, and I think that's what I, uh, again, I kind of had to keep reminding myself of the time that yeah. this movie was made because <laughs> of that. Like, and, you know, even, even still, like, you know, it's not to say that, um, you know, whiteness and, you know, you know, masculinity, maleness has not been, um, you know, held at a higher level for the entirety of, uh, you know, our, our American society. Um, but like, yeah, to the level that it is now, like, you know, like literally, you know, seeing this like, you know, last like terrorist act at the Capitol um, where it is like these people who uh, believe that there is like, uh, you know, something wrong, like that the system is rigged against them, um, you know, in this case, under these like extremely like false pretenses, um, you know, as far as the capital goes. But like within this movie, there is like something deeply wrong with the world around uh, Roddy. And there is something that's like, that, like there is like a, a coordinated effort against like, you know, you know, humanity and like the downtrodden to keep them you know in their place to keep them from you know realizing and waking up to the reality of like the horrors of like this like wealth and power elite the human elite as they're literally called in the movie right. uh and their control over them and so like yeah, I just had to keep reminding myself like of the time this movie was made because like <laughs> I feel like this is one of those movies where like like you know, some like white dude could watch this movie and like feel like and like, but very easily misplace like where that's coming from because we live in uh you know a world of like you know this mixed with like you know the whole like 1984 of it all of like right. the misinformation the the twisting of like reality by you know the elite and the powerful in order to turn that gaze away from them to where even if they do realize that something is wrong, they're looking at the wrong people and faulting the wrong people for what the issues in their life are. And that like keeps the that wealthy and that powerful in their place above everyone else and keeps everyone below them fighting against each other. Almost the exact same way that some shitty white dude is going to misconstrue every Quentin Tarantino movie or every Martin Scorsese <laughs> movie to be like, oh, they're glamorizing organized crime. They're glamorizing being a gangster. They're glamorizing all this shit and they're not paying attention to what happens to those characters, like how they end up or what the actual message of the story is. Oh yeah, we've seen it over and over again. We've seen it with Fight Club. We've seen it with Breaking Bad. Like we've yeah. seen like we've seen like so many stories where like oh like white male main character is like proven to be like you know by the end of the like you know show or the movie is proven to be like wrong or is proven to go about like doing things the wrong way or like utilizing the wrong methods uh and or selling out their morality exactly right? yeah <laughs> but yeah. then that somehow becomes twisted into her uh like heroism Heroics. because yeah. there's like one small grain of like like truth or like what like they're doing is like uh, they're 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 doing it for like quote unquote like the right reason or because there's a, like a legitimate threat, but then they take that and they go way over the line with it. Yeah, and that's why like that, some it was so fascinating rewatching this because I had I haven't seen this movie in I don't know twenty years at least, right? And it rewatching it today was okay. I could see you know this is this kind of lefty critique. Right. It was by a bunch of, you know, kind of leftists at a time who were saying, fuck you to Reagan. Uh, but you can really see how QAnon folks and the Proud Boys could watch this and be ha have a similar like and awakening. Take the right? Opposite message away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, or no, that it would be a similar, there are these larger systems that control us, uh, but maybe have a different way of responding to them. <laughs> but, but they, they, but, they think that those are the different systems than what yes. Carpenter is saying that they are. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why uh, 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 a Slovenian um, philosopher, uh, Zizek, Slavo Zizek, uh, in his film, Pervert's Guide to Cinema, or is it Pervert's Guide to... Ideolo no, it's Perfect Guide to Ideology talks about this movie as being not, I mean, yes, capitalism, but really being a critique of the ideology as a concept, right? And that's why QAnon folks can read into it because it's more about the, uh, you know, kind of understanding that you cannot escape ideology, right? And 
regardless of what that message, intended message might be or one, how one receives it. Anyway, it, it has a really great clip of him um, talking in front of a dumpster, you know, from the scene where um, they have that extended fight scene. Uh, so it, it, you can watch the clip on YouTube, just Zizek <laughs> and uh, Pervert's Guide to Ideology. Yeah. He also has Pervert's <laughs> Guide to Cinema is another one of his films. Are you looking at it now, Colin? <laughs> no. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking about that extended fight scene because that was the only other time that my surveyor brain got in, my, in the way of me enjoying this film. <laughs> because um, because it, it takes place in this, this same alleyway that we use a bunch. And so the, this alleyway has a, a big long cross pan and that makes sense. There's a cross pan because the water has to go somewhere. But we see at some point a little area drain, like a uh, storm system. And I'm like, why is that in line in the way of this cross pan? If you're gonna send the water somewhere, send it into the cross pan and send it out. Why is there an area drain in line with the cross pan? That doesn't make any sense. But that's just what happens when you spend all of your time making maps of where water is going. <laughs> which will be the next thing that we have humanity fights over <laughs> you know yeah, yeah truly <laughs> so we just need to stick with you Colin because you know where the water is <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that you know to kind of speak to um you know this movie does even within the like for its time I feel like it even speaks to some of like the like naiveness that like Roddy has in this movie because you know when it starts he's like talking with Keith and he's like you know I believe in America and I follow the rules so like he thinks that that should like you know get him That's what enough. he wants in life yeah. and like he's a white dude uh, I, I'm yeah. straight and white and I follow the rules I'm entitled <laughs> to everything yeah and Keith like doesn't even like say anything he just like gives this look that's like <laughs> Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Sure, sure, buddy. Like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> which is like, which again, like when he's going like to do the whole eyeglasses thing, I get, um, I, I 100% get like Keith's reticence to like put them on, like as a black person in yep. America, like, yep. you know, yeah. full well, like, you know, full well, like, like how fucked up it is. Like, yep. <laughs> like you don't that, need you don't need like don't this need extra layer of like having like the illusion ripped away. So like I get like Keith wanting to like hold on to like some bit of that. Like especially like he talks about like you know having a wife and kids a wife and, and all kids, that. Yeah. Um. You know. So I I get like yeah, not wanting to have that ripped away. And then like that means like now he also like within this movie like he has to act on that now. He has to act and on it, he's not, and, he's not, and he's gonna die for it. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's not even really like his choice, like because as soon as he puts them on, like they're discovered to like have like the illusion ripped away by these aliens. So he doesn't even really have a choice anymore of whether or not he wants to like continue ignoring it because now they're coming after him because he's actually seeing like through the flaws of the of like the illusion. Yeah, it's dark. It's it, it has a very like, and I, you're totally right, right? That the the wanting to cling to some level of like, please don't rip everything away, and that's why I, I just it's so. Um, uh, for all the people who critique the use of violence, I think it's more akin to RoboCop or something like that. Where yeah, it's, it, it, it's actually very much like violence. a. Yeah. I didn't even think of that until you just said it, but this is so much more like a Verhoeven movie than it is like a John Carpenter movie because it's it's such a satire, but it's it's a satire that people aren't picking up on like, like every Verhoeven movie is. Like <laughs> Robocop is like a huge satire. Like people hate Starship Troopers, but they don't get that Starship Troopers is like a giant joke. Like the entire yeah. movie is a satire about fascism. Yeah, and and, oh, can we talk? Can I talk about this for a minute? Because this is like one of my favorite things in like all cinema history is listening to the um, director's commentary of Verhoeven for Starship Troopers. Because even like the New York Times didn't get it right. The New York Times was like, "You don't understand this movie." You know, they didn't even pick up that it was supposed to be a satire. So Paul Verhoeven, like on the director's commentary, is like, "No, no, why don't you understand this? Every time you see a man dressed like a Nazi, he's bad." 
why don't you get that he's supposed to be <laughs> <Yeah>. back? <laughs> like, like we're he, presenting him as the hero, but he's still a bad guy. But he's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he's talking to like a five-year-old, but he's really speaking to the American film critics. It's so amazing. I highly recommend that as a as a good listen. Yeah, that, that happens time and time again, which is, you know, we've, we've already provided the examples, but yes. it's just ridiculous <laughs> how often, you know, satire goes over people's heads without like having like to be that blunt about it yeah, <laughs> unless like, you're like punching them in the head saying this is satire yeah like, the americans are not gonna get it necessarily and i think that that's what like carpenter was going for i don't think that he was trying to be subtle in this movie i think no, he was literally no. yeah trying <laughs> to beat you over the head with it all. yeah he was literally like i'm going to beat you over the head with it i'm going to say fuck you ronald reagan and like press like and like my press run for this movie like i'm going to you know, just make sure that you understand clearly where i stand with <laughs> what i'm saying in this movie there will be no, no doubt like no <laughs> i i love at the very end of a movie where there's a little uh you know the beam has been destroyed or whatever the sci-fi devices yeah. <laughs> whatever, the, the whatever it is that, that's creating the illusion and it's it's shattered and now everybody can see the truth everyone can see the truth and on the um the folks who are in the bar they're, they're on the television it's a film critic who uh i can't remember now it's jeans it's it's clearly gene siskel yes and <laughs> i can't remember what it says behind no independent thought right yeah uh, and uh he says oh these movies by george romero and john carpenter there's yeah. so much sex and violence right and so he's even like has that kind of meta view of what he's doing right him. well and then he even and ends then Cuts to and then the movie right? yeah, like, literally the ends, movie with, ends like, this... with with a, a woman like a blonde woman with like big boobs like riding a dude and then she like looks down and sees that he's the alien he's like hey what's wrong babe and cut to cut. credits yeah that's Hard cut. the end of the movie <laughs> yeah. yeah and i remember like i think like maybe an hour into the movie where things are actually like starting to like pick up uh, in terms of like the actual like plot of the aliens, uh, I was just like, "There's no way this is ending well." Like, there's just, there's just no there's like there's absolutely no way this movie like has a happy ending. Uh, and it, it honestly did remind me a lot of the end of like the original ending of Little Shop of Horrors, yeah. where it's yeah. like the plants are everywhere. Like they are like taking over the world and it's like, yeah, people can see them now, but that doesn't change the fact that they're still like this highly advanced alien society. (laughs) It it, it doesn't change the fact that humanity is already lost. Yeah. And again, going back to what we said, I said the Zizek quote, that's the same person I quoted about, you know, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Right. That's again here that you can never escape ideology. Right. You never can. You actually you can be now you're aware of it, but you can't escape it. Um, So so can I drop something into all of y'all's minds, like both of you on this call and everybody in chat. So I I just want you to, to, to imagine with me. This movie, exactly the same as it is, except instead of Rowdy Roddy Piper, it's Kurt Russell. Is that not a much, much better movie? No, I love that it's uh, I, I Kessler, just, right? It, I, I, it's, it's gritty, it's sleazy, it's I, like, I, it fits there, right? I no, feel I like, just, I, I feel like definitely, I feel like there's definitely some, um, <laughs> There's something to be desired in uh, Roddy's like acting abilities. No, but that's part <laughs> yeah, of it. That's, that's what I, I don't that. think that Roddy Piper could carry this movie. But I think it. But I think it is like it is kind of like I don't want to say like endearing necessarily, but it's kind of like appropriate to like yes. like this kind of like clueless guy who's just like stumbles into this like completely like surreal like unreal like reality. <laughs> but you don't think that Kurt Russell could do that better? 
he would do it and it would be cute right it, like uh big trouble in little china right that's no no that's not his yeah that's, that was yes, big that trouble in little china yeah right so it would be kind of funny if it were kurt russell or it would be kind of charming right whereas i love his terrible acting ability it adds to like the documentary feeling right <laughs> it adds to the, like i think it's actually central to it in the same way they scouted all those like places in la to shoot his inability to act as part of the texture of the film i guess that that's what i would say i do understand why people don't wouldn't like that but i think it's it's important <laughs> honestly i think the main reason why Roddy was chosen for this role was for that fight scene like yes. i think, oh, I think that that's like the re like the reason why is like because he could pull that off like because that was actually like a really good fight scene for yeah. like an 80s movie like that was a well choreographed and well executed fight scene like <laughs> yes and i would um, for all the amount i complain about boy fighting in like marvel movies right like oh now they're gonna <laughs> superheroes are gonna punch each other Ugh, right so that's boy fighting this is actual like choreographed well executed fighting yay <laughs> you know like i'm marvel take note <laughs> <laughs> that both of them walk away from completely unbelievably. Like, neither of them are walking away from that fight. <laughs> well, they, just, they just needed a shower, you know, then they're good. <laughs> then they're good. Just need to clean up. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I feel like we should talk about uh, Holly. Um Oh, really? There's a female character in this movie? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, there's the woman with the titties at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, like, uh, you know, Roddy's pretty much just, like, trying to fuck for, like, when he's not, like, holding her hostage, which, you know... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Every romance in, in Hollywood. Yeah, I was, I, like, of... I was like groaning for a moment because I thought that they were going to go like, I thought they were going to turn this into a romance plot. Um, I which... was so refreshed by the fact that they didn't. Yeah. No Romo. No Romo. <laughs> no Romo. Because wow, Tara. <laughs> One of the first things I thought when he was taking her hostage was June Diane Raphael talking about... Um, the running man and she says like if i have to see one more goddamn movie where a woman falls in love with her captor i'm gonna like fucking shit the bed like i'm gonna be so <laughs> pissed off and that's where i thought this movie was going and then when she like smashes a bottle over his head and shoves him out the glass window, oh like, my yeah. god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i was so happy when she just like was a boss and like shoves him out the window. It was like, yeah. And that shot was amazing. Like it was this overhead shot. It was like, he's getting up off the floor. Uh, and it like, cause like the glasses make him like tired. It's like, he says it's like a drug. So like when he's like, has them on, it's like this like feeling of uh, like, he feels like almost high. And then like the overtime, it feels like he's coming down. And so by the time he gets uh, back to Holly's place, uh, he's, pretty much just like limp on the floor and then he's like getting up and she's like grabbing she has like a champagne bottle in her hand and she just <laughs> does this like spin around like just like this spin and like slams the bottle into the back of his head and like pushes him out of the window and i was like i rewound that part like three times i was like oh shit oh <laughs> shit yes girl get him marvel movies take notes right like this is how to do action scenes they did this for like four dollars <laughs> so yeah uh and, and then i love her i i, I had forgotten the like piercing blue eyes that she has Oh, I know. Yeah, and, and you're just like, okay, yeah, you're clearly an alien. That's why. Like. <laughs> it's an actor named Meg Foster, and the one other thing I really know her from is Canon Films' Masters of the Universe, <gasps> where she plays a character named Evil Lynn. That's her. Not, oh my not god, Evelyn, not Evelyn, <laughs> Evil Lynn, played by Meg Foster. Well, um. This is so that's two people because uh, Roddy is also like it's not I don't think it's a canon movie but wait is it no is, oh you're talking about Hell Comes to Frogtown yeah yeah that's not a canon film okay but it, it it might as well be because of how fucked up that movie is I don't so, know yeah. what that movie is Can oh my god it's horrible it's like, awful it's, what's it called Hell it's Comes called to Hell Frogtown Hell Comes to Frogtown it's it's this dystopian future where um. All men basically have become infertile. And so they find this character played by Rowdy Roddy Piper, who's like the only man you can find in the whole desert oasis whose dick works. 
Oh. And so they have to send him to like repopulate. Yeah, to repopulate. So yeah, whether these, the women want it or not. Like yeah, that's whether like, the women are interested or not. It, it's there's so much really disturbing rape. It's in this really, movie. it's um, really bad. But wow. he's like got to be escorted through the desert by these two female like commandos, and they get captured by these mutant frog creatures. It's it's a really weird and fucked up movie. Yeah, is, is this from the eighties? It's the yeah. same year as this. It's the same year as they live. <laughs> like, yeah, Roddy Piper was in this movie and that movie and that in the same year, which is wild again, because they could not be more different in terms of quality, in terms of like the message of the movie, right. in terms of like in terms of like anything. These could not be further apart. <laughs> Wow, I'm, now I know what I'm doing this afternoon. <laughs> oh, God, prepare that. yourself. I would say like, if you're going to watch Hell Comes to Frogtown, like, do it in chunks and, like, have a drink ready because it's 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 a disturbing... It. Have a bottle ready. Have a bottle. Have the whole <laughs> bottle. Got it. Thank you for preparing me for that. <laughs> oh. Okay, what else can we talk about this movie? Uh, I really enjoyed rewatching it. I was surprised. I didn't know. I mean, <clears throat> I get that there's some pacing issues, um, but it was also I, I just the it, it's a style of filmmaking that's Hollywood that's cheap that kind of launched independent cinema. Right? You can really see how this type of movie, um, be, <laughs> be Warren Tara of the Dance of the Nine Snakes. Oh God. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Sorry. <laughs> that, that, okay. Yeah. Maybe I won't watch this. Today. Maybe, maybe. I mean, <laughs> maybe if, you, just, if you don't want to, just don't. If there's any part of you that's like, I don't want to watch this anymore, just turn it off. Just, just stop. That's there. a really yeah. good thing. So, so I mean, definitely start watching Hell Comes to Frogtown. But if there's ever a point while watching that movie that you're like, I want to stop watching this. Go ahead and stop watching. Yeah. It. There's nothing worth it. Like, there's like, there's movies that like are kind of like bad or like you know. You, just right. like uh, like wrong where you're like maybe like there's something of value here to be gained that is not the case with That's hell comes to frog time the hell comes to frog time there's there's no nothing no worth it in the end nothing yeah um, okay all right <laughs> so uh, if at any point oh. you want to stop stop okay but maybe we'll wait till the pandemic's over and watch it after the yes pandemic. actually <laughs> once we're all vaccinated and we can be in a room together we can Let's, watch it together. We'll, we'll, get like a, we'll get a big bottle of wine and we'll all watch Hill Comes Frogtown together and we can laugh and shit on it at the, all at the same time. Yeah. That sounds a little bit more manageable. <laughs> but you talk about like this movie like being low budget. It, it actually was. I mean, for a movie that was made in 1988, it had a budget of $4 million. I mean, and for a John Carpenter movie. And, and John Carpenter also did the same thing with Halloween, like in the 70s. He made that movie for nothing. Yep, And it's like one of the most iconic horror movies to this day. And again, he's kind of coming out of that, you know, kind of 60s tradition of counterculture, kind of making these movies in the 70s and 80s, which then really launched in the 90, late 80s, early 90s into kind of independent cinema, right? Which now has been swallowed back into mainstream. But uh, it's that kind of ability to, ha I mean, who would produce this movie right now? This is kind of like Little Shop of Horrors as like, could we, this movie exist today? I'm, I'm really curious um, what, yeah, how I they think would change be, the ending. Yeah, I think <laughs> I at the very least it would, it would definitely be like, uh, you know, an independent movie, if anything. Like it would, it would yeah. definitely, I don't see like any big like up. movie theater or movie uh, studio producing this movie with the ending that it has uh, because it probably wouldn't test well in focus yeah. groups or you know, there, there, there'd be like some like yeah it's, or, or like people don't or want like, to put glasses on people do not want to put the yeah, glasses on yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or like John Carpenter would like leave like you know in the middle of production like due to creative differences with the studio mm -hmm. like you know any of these things like would probably be like what happens with this movie they, like today they'd replace John Carpenter with Ron Howard or some shit you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it would star The Rock and Kurt Russell would have a cameo you know it'd be like kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy or something right honestly if it was like early rock i could see that i could see that working see, if yeah. like if it was like you know yeah, like ba back when the rock still had hair uh back in those days like that yeah, level. When, when we could all smell what he was cooking yeah and when it was, like he was still kind of like not skinny but he wasn't like a, a mountain you know yeah <laughs>
Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I don't think this movie needs to be remade. I think it still holds, right? And it's a documentary of the 80s and it's like a warning that was not heeded <laughs> that we still are living in. <laughs> well, and that's like, that's so much of sci-fi. Um, and I, I think too, especially with, um, you know, all the people who are kind of seen as the, uh, you know, pioneers or like the the paragons of, science fiction um all of the you know ones that are white males which is pretty much all of them it's really interesting to see you know having you know spent like the last uh you know i started reading like a bunch of Oli um not olivia octavia, 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 octavia butler um yes. yeah <laughs> um like a that couple years ago and i was like and i was just like holy shit like how the fuck did george orwell become like the person that he is and Octavia Butler not like really even start to get recognized like until uh, after she died like she yeah died and now there's kind of this you know kind of renaissance of her work but I really wish that had yeah like I, I was lifetime. upset like I having read like uh you know like Parable of the Sower having read um um Wild Seed like all of these like all of these books of hers and I was just like how was I never like assign these books yeah. yeah in school to read like you know like, yeah, I mean I know how but I mean well, we all need to read on. our Ray Bradbury but Octavia Butler that's too extreme yeah, yeah. And, and it's like these, like these are like the more like incisive insightful like critiques of the system that actually like go deeper and further like into like looking at what the future is and like looking at like where the road that we're on is like leading us to. Um, and I feel like because we have so many like white dudes who, you know, never really have to, um, they never have to go any deeper if they don't want to. Uh, and so we get these like kind of like ahead of their time for their time, but still like not really going as deep or looking at like things from more than the perspective of like other white men and how they're affected um, as we see in yeah. this movie in particular. And so we, we don't really get like as, 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 as nuanced of a, as a, of a take or as uh, detailed of a take of where these roads are leading us to and it's a shame because <laughs> so much, if, if more people read Octavia Butler, <laughs> then there'd be a lot more like, you know, a, a lot clearer of a vision of like where we're at and like where, what that can lead to. Yeah. And I would say the kind of, I'm very grateful that Margaret Atwood, again, is kind of having this renaissance uh, with The Handmaid's Tale being turned into a TV show, but right. it's a lot of white lady feminism in there. It's like, yeah. where is Octavia yeah. Butler? Maybe it's, um, maybe like Regina King could remake this movie or something like that, <laughs> right? Like she would be the only acceptable um, person to, to remake uh, They Live. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I think that um, yeah, I, I don't really have a whole lot more notes uh, other than you know just kind of seeing people willing to sell out an entire planet <laughs> for their own just game. in order to have some personal wealth. Yeah, like just the it's it's so about Reaganomics. It's so about 1988. It's and. <laughs> It's, and it's so it's bad today. shocking how nothing has changed. Yeah. And like how much nothing has changed. Add uh, climate change onto this, right? Like I am yeah. not willing to get up, give up my lifestyle. Yeah, and I, I'm not willing to give up, planet. yeah, like simple luxuries in order to save the goddamn planet. Yeah. Like, and I doesn't part... care if my grandchildren are going to die. I, I really need to have this luxury. Yeah. And there's a part of that, where, like in, in the movie too, where they talk about, uh, you know, they're turning our atmosphere into their atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, that's kind of like uh, the increase in like chlorofluorocarbons and, you know, the deterioration of the ozone, uh, you know, is like to make the earth more like hospitable to these alien creatures who are here to like drain it dry of all of its resources. 
exploitation, capitalism, so much going on. Yeah. Uh, the, the only other thing I wrote down aside from my stats was if you're going to put in contact lenses, wash your goddamn hands. <laughs> it, it, I thought I found that so grody. These two guys who've just come off of like the street, they've been in the alleyway and they get these contacts and they're just like, oh, all right, let me like, just pop that in. They're like, wash your hands. You're going to get an infection. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay uh you want to move to stats you want to stats uh, yeah so so this movie has a 7.3 on imdb it has a 55 on metacritic an 86 percent rotten tomatoes a 79 percent audience tomatoes and off of a budget of four million dollars it has an opening weekend of 4.8 million dollars and a worldwide gross of 13 million dollars yeah, it was kind of considered a flop when it came out. I think it came out- Even same. though on its opening weekend, it made its money back and then some? Yeah, even it, it was, uh, I think it came out the same week as another big, or, you know, right around the same time as another horror film. And so it got kind of, uh, you know, ignored because of that, right? Yeah. But, but it has stood the test of time in a way that, um, actually, I think I read that um, John Carpenter was pleased that it was a failure. Um, that at the time that it was kind of received poorly because that meant it was ahead of its time and that meant yeah that, and that meant that he actually had <laughs> yeah. a message and it, it was and it received by some people <laughs> yep yep <laughs> yep yeah, I would think a movie like this, uh, if his main purpose was to make money, that would definitely exactly. run a little counter to <laughs> the, the thesis. Exactly. <laughs> if, if the point of they live was to make money. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm going to be laughing about that for like two days. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love it. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this movie, if uh, anyone here hasn't, seen it yet at this point that we've spoiled the entire thing for um <laughs> uh it's available on uh on peacock for free i think you just have to like sign to up for an account but um yeah. honestly I, I think most ad blockers work you know and i mean i i, I, I watched a, a dub shampoo <laughs> commercial about five or six times <laughs> i watched the dub one too yeah i got yeah. <laughs> i think my chrome ad blocker worked because i didn't oh, nice. get any commercials online, uh, i watched so. it on my xbox so oh, I, there I didn't you go. have that luxury but it's right. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah if you want to watch this movie which uh yeah i think this it's one's free. definitely worth the watch it's free um, it's great yeah uh but let's see what else do we have here we have recommendations what have we got for recommendations y'all colin um, I would say if you like John Carpenter, you should definitely watch Halloween. If you like this kind of shoestring budget, like independent cinema, like definitely watch Halloween. If you like John Carpenter's music, watch Halloween. It's a great movie. It's one of the most iconic soundtracks in, in all of movies. I watch it pretty much annually. Uh, I will rewatch Halloween because it's such a punk rock, awesome horror film that like basically defined and established a genre that would last throughout the eighties. But since we were talking about Octavia Butler, my main recommendation is if you want to see great sci-fi from people of color, then um, listen to LeVar Burton Reads. Uh, it's a great podcast that's going to highlight all sorts of stuff that you don't get, but is really going to highlight science fiction and a lot of science fiction from people of color. So listen to LeVar Burton Reads. Nice. Nice. Um, here are two Octavia Butler books that I just pulled from my bookshelf that I would, oh, whoa. Oh, it's virtual. <laughs> okay, it's Kindred and Fledgling are two that I would recommend. Yeah, gosh, virtual backgrounds. The background is, yep. is blanking those it's, Okay, but here's two that I just like, that were right over there. So I wanted to highlight them. Um, if you like this movie, I would highly recommend watching um, at least the YouTube, you know, you can see it on YouTube, the um, Pervert's Guide to Ideology, Zizek. It's like a five minute clip that he does on this film in a really smart way. Um, I would recommend Romero, who's name checked in the end of the, this movie. I would recommend um, Night of the Living Dead. Um, and then in terms of like overt, not subtle critiques of capitalism and wealth, it, his later in the kind of Living Dead series is Land of the Dead. That's from like the middle aughts with um, Dennis Hopper who lives in a tower that the zombies take down, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's not subtle. <laughs> I haven't seen that one in a long time. Um, Robocop, right? Verhoeven. Yes. 
I would suggest that. I haven't seen Repo Man in a very long time, but I can't remember what happens in that movie. <laughs> so I, I vaguely recall there being something about capitalism in that movie. Um, and then if you actually like seeing this era LA and kind of the style of filmmaking, um, To Live and Die in LA, um, which is more of like a murder mystery, um, but very moody, has a wonderful soundtrack. So if that's the kind of landscape that you like, To Live and Die in LA. Cool, that's what I got. Right on. Um, yeah, more uh, sci-fi, especially like particularly Octavia Butler. I said I mentioned Wild Seed before, uh, Pattern Master. Uh, you said Kindred, uh, and then some like modern, some new uh, sci-fi. I, I'm sure I've mentioned these on the show before, but I'll say them again. Uh, Binti, there's the Binti trilogy by Nnedi Okorafor. Um, the uh, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. Um, let's see, let's see. Um, I'm just going through my library here. I'm like, let me see what I've been reading lately. <laughs> uh, the, fifth se- the Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin. Um, and that's a part of a trilogy as well. Um, a Blade of Black. Ti- what's, what's the title of that last one? Uh, the Fifth Season. Fifth Season, got Yeah, cool. which uh, I heard it's like, there. it was like, Three or four years ago, I think it was announced that it's supposed to be getting a show at some point, but um, I haven't heard anything since. So um, somebody get back on that because I would love to see that as a television show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A Blade So Black um, by L.L. McKinney, which is really good. It's like a reimagining of Alice in Wonderland uh, type mythology. Um, Yeah, those are some of the... Uh, things that I would enjoy. Um, also, I mean, Gargoyles, if you just like really yes! into Keith David's voice. <laughs> oh, if you have not watched Gargoyles, you need to do yourself a favor and watch Gargoyles. And yeah. The voice talent alone, not just Keith David, also Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis. It, it's an amazing show. Yeah. I think if it were anywhere, it would probably be on Disney+. Plus. Um, so I, I'm not sure if it's if it's there now. Um, also, hey, Sloth, and uh, thank you for also yeah affirming that LeVar Burton Reads uh, yeah. is a wonderful podcast because it 100% is. Um, let's see. Oh, <laughs> so the one that one line is I don't I'm not sure if this is the first time that line like that type of line comes up. The whole chew bubblegum thing is this like the first iteration of that? Yeah. Okay, it's the most famous one, at least. Okay, because the first time I heard it was uh, on the IT crowd, uh, <laughs> 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 which oh, I think it's like season that makes two. Makes me so happy. I think it's like season two, and it's like Moss is like, uh, you know, I came here to kick ass and drink milk, and I've just finished my milk. I've just. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how happy it makes me that your reference point for that as a cultural thing is the IT crowd. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is coming um, straight. They live. I love it. Yeah, which again, like it's probably like the third week in a row we've talked about Richard Iwade. Uh, I know. I have this book, God, I have this book near here too. Oh man, I should make us all do view from the top as a <laughs> Oh God, no. <laughs> the the 30 minutes of that maybe that I watched was like uh rough. <laughs> Terrible. I, again, I still am only on like chapter three because I'm savoring it. <laughs> this is uh, uh Richard Iwade's book on called Ayoade on Top, which is a serious academic critique of uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's 2000 movie, View from the Top, where she plays a working class stewardess. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenally wonderful. Oh, it's so good. It's right here somewhere. Yeah, it's really good. Right on. Uh, So yeah. Real quick before we leave. Oh, Oh, more (laughs) Wes. Yes. <laughs> Mary and reproduce. There you go, Mary Cullen. Did you get it? Don't don't bring that propaganda on here, Cullen. Yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> all right. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you all for joining us on the stream. Thank you all for listening. Um, you can find us. Um, we are on Twitter and Instagram at IWITWT. Our website is iwitwt.com. And now we're also on Anchor, uh, which is like pretty much going to be like our little hub for 
where you can find our podcast episodes. Uh, so that's anchor.fm forward slash IWITWT. And there's links there for pretty much any of the uh, podcatcher things that you might want to listen to us on. So um, if you uh, are, you know, listening on, you know, CastBox or Spotify or Apple or Stitcher, um, you can find links to pretty much all of those on our Anchor page. Uh, so yeah, thank you once again. You can find me individually. I am at Catharticus and Colin, where are you at? I am at Colin Munch. Awesome Blossom. Oh, and also don't forget, you can find us on Twitch where some of you are listening to us now and, and watching, if you're us, watching now. us live. But if you're listening to us, you can find us on twitch.tv <laughs> forward slash IWYTWT. We'll be mostly streaming on Sundays starting at noon Mountain Standard Time. All right. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye. Bye.